0: Chapter 25, Day 2 Cam inspects the innermost portion of a tentacle, trying to judge whether it's been cooked enough. Calling the meat safe would be a stretch, since it's always possible that the entire body of an octopus hound is poisonous. But Cam had decided there was no choice but to try it. He was lightheaded from hunger, and besides, there didn't seem to be any familiar animals to hunt in this place anyway. Compared to ooze monsters and giant bugs, octopus hound was a gourmet meal. Building a fire had taken Cam from dawn to mid-morning. Hours of searching for kindling, fiddling with sparks, with friction, changing methods frequently, probably too frequently. The sticks and rocks he'd picked up back in the forest had come in handy. They were drier than anything Cam could find in this jungle. He'd put the fire pit close to shore, at an approximate midpoint of Daniel's and Tim's sleeping forms. That infection looks serious, says Daniel. When Cam glances over, Daniel's eyes are closed again. In a past life, this sequence of events would have included an alarm clock and a snooze button. It's octopus ink, Cam replies. Seals up the wound. Where'd you hear that from? I didn't. I tested it. Kind of like we're about to test this meat. You can test it, says Daniel. Cam laughs and turns toward Tim. (laughs) Hey, any chance Tim is hungry enough to volunteer? Oh, shit. Behind Tim, across the lake, there's a line in the meadow, one that hadn't been there before. The narrow stretch of ooze runs from the northeast, curving until it points due west, directly at Cam, Daniel, and Tim. An arrow of death. And at its head, that fetid horse, galloping hungrily forward. That's not good, says Daniel. Tim, Tim, hey! Tim jolts up, eyes wide with confusion, following Daniel's pointing finger to the ooze horse just as it runs into the lake without slowing down, as if into an empty basin. Whirling around, Tim finds his shield and knife. A moment later, Daniel has his shield and rock sword, and Cam his knife and garden hoe. We'll block the spit, says Daniel. Move in slowly, and then Cam, you'll hit it once we're close. If Cam had more time, he'd wonder whether Daniel had thought of this now, or if he'd had it stored away along with who knows how many other contingency plans. There's logic and power to the visual, a turtle shell that opens up for just long enough for Cam, who has the longest weapon, to strike, rinse and repeat as needed. But there's a problem. Uh, I don't know if this one spits, says Cam. I've never even seen it stop moving. Can we use the trees for cover? Tim shouts. Split up, lure it to one of us, and then the other two hit it from behind. What's the person who it's chasing supposed to do? Move from tree to tree. Daniel shakes his head. It's too fast. In a straight line, yes, says Cam. Around trees? He pauses, trying to recall the horse's movements to replay them in his mind. Had he seen it take sharp turns? Did the path have any corners, any spots that hint at how fast the thing can turn? Uh, I don't know, he says. Maybe, I don't know. How far can the other one spit? Asks Daniel. Cam thinks aloud. Uh, At least 30 feet, probably more. They could shoot about a third of the way across the river. I, I can't measure it from memory. It's too far anyway. The trees are barely that tall. A voice calls from above. Get up here, now! Cam whips his gaze upward, stepping and craning to try to find who spoke. Just trees and branches wherever he looks. Glancing back down, Cam catches the eyes of Daniel and Tim in turn, checking if they see anyone. Neither one does. Climb a tree before it gets on shore. Hurry up! Too late! It's seen us! Cam shouts. If it can shoot, we'll be sitting ducks in the trees. It hasn't seen you. Trust me, move! Cursing, Tim leaps at the nearest branch within reach and scrambles up. He leaves his weapons behind, flinging them to the ground. Let's go, he shouts into the tree. When Daniel starts scaling a tree of his own, Cam doesn't hesitate any longer. Bark and twigs skin his hands as he claws his way skyward. Don't fall, he thinks. Do not fall. You can go slow, you can stop if you have to, but you can't fall. If you fall, you're dead. In his mad ascent, however, slowing down feels just as deadly as falling. And despite Cam's urgings, his body moves hurriedly, imprecisely. Perhaps seeing this, Tim shouts, You're fine, Cam, you're fine. Stop! The voice punches through. Cam stops. He's much higher than he was during his first encounter with the ooze horse, twenty feet up at least. He could circle around the trunk of the tree to take cover from projectile ooze, but for how long? If this thing is at all intelligent, it'll get right up to the tree and orbit faster than I can. Or even if it is slow and dumb, I'll get tired. It won't. In an adjacent tree crouches Tim who is tracking the movement of something behind Cam, presumably Daniel. Cam pivots to look just as Daniel reaches the same height as his two friends. With all three of them safe, or in an equal amount of danger, at least, they begin looking for the person who had called to them. Cam finds her first, a woman several trees away, barely visible through the tangle of branches and leaves. They make eye contact. Can it shoot? Shut up! Cam complies. The fire below crackles, still alight, unaware of what draws close. Then it comes. Brutish, demonic, the ooze horse rockets from the water with none of the elegance of the octopus hounds. The water rises with it, a dark brown cloak, flowing and flooding and washing out everything below, fire, food, weapons. Camp hears the dying wails of a thousand plants and galloping that relentless galloping as the ooze horse ribbons through their camp, heading west toward the lake and the giant building beyond. In the instant that Cam dares to believe that the ooze horse is going to run by harmlessly once again, there's a new sound. A sound that makes Cam's sigh of relief catch in his throat. Acting on instinct, Cam swings around to put the tree trunk between him and the ooze horse. He's not a moment too soon. It's one part hurricane and one part wave, a torrent that shakes every tree on the island. Eyes shut, hearing nothing but a sustained roar, Cam clutches the branches of his tree and prays for the nightmare to end. Then it does, but only for a second. Because a sound returns to the world, its first act is to remind Cam that though the horse may be gone, it's far from dead. Everyone okay? Cam calls. Any ooze on you? Fuck. Jesus, it's everywhere, says Tim. On you? No, not on my skin, but look at the island. It's fucking covered. We're gonna have to kill that thing, says Daniel. The charge-up sound is a nice tell, but anywhere else we wouldn't have taken cover in time. Hello? Are you all right? Cam shouts in the direction of the unknown woman. Yes, I'm fine. We have to get to the other side of the island and track its movements. It could come back at us once it hits the building. Who are you? Cam asks. Dia. That backpack you were carrying, that's mine. You have been listening to The Story of the World. Season 1 and Season 2. This tale is based on a 2011 playthrough of The World, a spreadsheet adventure game created by Matt Sirka. Written, narrated, directed, recorded, and produced by Matt Sirka. Sound effects, recorded and produced by Matt Sirka. The sick beat you're hearing right now is called Misdirection, and it was composed and produced by Matt Sirka. The voice of Tim was Tim O'Connor. The voice of Daniel was Daniel Horwitz. The voice of Cam was Cam Allen. The voice of Dia was Sabrina Boyd. I'm going to dump a big pile of thanks on a lot of people, so please stick around to hear everyone who was involved in this. Uh, First, thank you to the actors, Tim, Daniel, Cam, and Sabrina, for the many hours they put into recording their lines, with all of the tweaking, ad-libbing, and sweating inside my Blanket Fort studio that involved. Working with you really was the best part of this project. I'm so thankful for everything you did to give the characters life and make my writing and directing better. Thanks also to Tim, Daniel, and Cam for playing the world and thereby outlining most of the events portrayed in this radio drama. If you're interested in learning more about our bizarre cooperative writing process for the story of the world, take a look at the creator commentary on getinthedamnbox.com. Thanks to Michelle Circa, who changed my life and career irreparably by introducing me to Welcome to Night Vale. Thank you to Tim O'Connor, who endured the magic of sound design every night from his room in our apartment. Also thanks to Joe Mendez, who showed me the power of the well-placed, huh. And thank you to Sabrina Boyd, without whom this project would have died many sad deaths. You went way beyond moral support, Taking the good friend bails you out of jail, best friend is in the cell with you approach to solidarity and encouragement. Without you, I'd never have had my first mic, never have asked my friends to voice act their parts, and never have gotten them together to actually record everything. I'd still be using Audacity, I'd be shambling around the woods with a laptop and preamp, and, uh, let's not talk about the reverb thing. Thank you. I truly couldn't have done this without you. Okay, almost there. Final thank yous. To Sabrina Boyd, Abe Katz, and my dad, Stefan Serka, thank you for giving me a whole bunch of sound equipment over the past year. It means so much that you believe in me enough to do that. I'm putting it to good use. Thanks to Michelle Circa, Sam Daniel, and Tim O'Connor for helping me record some of the trickier sound effects. I'm really glad that none of you sustained injuries in the process. To all my friends and family, one last time, I want to say thank you for your love and support. I hope you've enjoyed this, and I'm excited to show you the next thing I make. My website is getinthedamnbox.com. I can be found on Twitter at get in the damn Box. Thank you for listening. By the way, this is Climb this is drop, this is left, and this is right, ready?